0: for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Now now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, they told him in bethlehem of judea for so it is written by the prophet and you o bethlehem in the land of judea are by no means least among the rulers of judea for from for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people israel then herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them What time the star had appeared and he sent them to Bethlehem saying go and search diligently for the child and when you have found him bring me word that I too may come and worship him after listening to the king they went on their way and behold the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly, with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to... and he sent and killed all of the male children in Bethlehem and all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because she, cause they are no more. to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in the city called Nazareth. That what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene.
1: Jesus, we love you and we thank you for that story. And God, I thank you um, just for allowing it to be read by some men here tonight. And God, I pray that the truth of that story might hit us. And God, that the weight that's there... God, that you might just just settle that in on our hearts tonight. God, we pray just for your Holy Spirit's activity as we do something as precious as communion tonight. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit might sweep through us and sweep through this room. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, a few weeks ago, this was March the 7th. Um, it was a Saturday night. I would just gotten the sermon ready for Sunday morning, right? And I've been telling Laura all week, just do it like fr- by Friday maybe. That way, the sermon. We can go ahead and postpone that. Save me some work this week. Um, but but she decides Saturday night's going to be the time. Um, she's been pregnant for about nine months now, and I I hear, and literally I just finished the sermon, right? Just finished it, crawling into bed, and I hear the first. Oh, that was a little severe. And so, like any good husband, I said, uh, "We'll suck it up. Wait till after tonight, right?" And so that didn't go over well. But. Um, Um, A couple of minutes later, I get another one. Oh, that kind of hurt. And then they started kind of coming more and more frequently. Finally, it was every couple of minutes, and it became obvious that we were going to the hospital. Okay, now, at this point, it is uh, 1.30, so we just start throwing stuff together, right? And so we're throwing bags together. We jump in the car. By the time we make it to the hospital, um, it was about 2.45. Now, the drive over, just to preface that drive, was not a normal drive. Um, I, like I've always wanted, you know, you have that kind of imagery in your mind. I'm going to do 90. And if I get stopped, this is my one time to say it doesn't matter. I'm going to the hot ride. Right? And so I'm literally doing 90. Like I'm sort of running red lights. Like I, you know, I'm doing all that. And so I'm that guy on the road at 2:45. So we get there, pull in. It's 2:45 Now, Mike Harmon, I don't know where Mike, you're over here. Mike Harmon told me some great words of advice when it comes to a husband willing in his, his pregnant wife as she's in labor. And that good word of advice went like this. Before you give them your name, before you fill out a piece of paper, before you do anything, you tell them one word. The one word is epidural, right? And so that was my one word. I, I knew that much. If I didn't do anything else, this is what I'm doing. I'm saying the word epidural. So we walk in 2.45 in the morning. I mean, on the way over, the drive is definitely one of those high, kind of intense drives where she's giving me that look like, I'll kill you if you don't go faster. And so we get there, we in. I say epidural, and they give that look back like, honey, you're a little too far along for that. And at that, I like, look at Laura. She looks at me. I mean, we're kind of doing that whole thing. Like, what does that mean? And so they get us up into the uh, the room. 2.45, we get there. By 3.10, I mean, they're poking IVs in. Doctors are scrambling around. They get us in the room. Everything's kind of set up by 3.15. By 3.28, Caleb is here. Wild scene, right? I mean, it is craziness everywhere. okay. Now, it's funny because I look back at that now. Here's what I see. If I take the the thousand foot view of that and just look at all these little circumstances from running red lights to to getting um, the whole thing. Here's what I see. I see the providential hand of God in complete control. Okay, now now let's jump into this story for just a second. Um, When you look at the Christmas story, here's what you've got going against you when you read it. It sounds so familiar to you. You know what I'm saying? It just sounds okay, you have got, um, uh, first of all, you've got a guy or a lady that comes to his her husband and says, I'm pregnant. Congratulations. It's not yours. The Holy Spirit did it. Okay, now, come on, really? I mean, who believes that one, right? Like, I'm not brilliant, but I know it typically takes a guy and a girl. Okay, you typically kind of get, you know that, right? And so you start with that. Okay, then um, you've got this scene happen. Okay, now I'm convinced that there's not many scenes on the planet crazier than a hospital delivery room, right? But here's one that I think would be crazier. A manger in a delivery room, right? I mean, so you've got wild circumstances. I'm pretty sure there's no hand sanitizer on the wall, all right? I'm pretty sure those things aren't existing there. And so you've got these, okay, Herod, he gets word of this. Wise men see a star? They come around, Herod gets the word. He, he kills every two-year-old boy and below. Okay, you've got a parent and, and like a mom, dad, they take their kids, they go to Egypt. They, I mean, you've got a crazy scene playing itself out here. Okay, now here, if you look at it from the thousand foot level, here's what I think you see as you read through this story. I think you see the providential hand of God. I think you just see it shine through this story. I think you can maybe say it this way. As God relates to the world, you could say that God providentially brought Jesus into the world. Like he providentially did that. Okay, so let me take a step back and define the word providence. Like what do we mean by that? Like when we say God's providence, we are saying that God governs the affairs of mankind. That that God is in complete control. Of all circumstances, that God is in control. All things that happen on this planet eventually in some way, shape, or form come through the hand of God. That's what we mean when we say God's providence. Okay, Isaiah 46 is going to say it like this. It's going to say in verse 9, remember the former things. Okay, remember this, that I'm God, there is no other. I'm God, there's none like me. From the beginning, I planned all of these things. From ancient times, all these things that aren't yet done, I planned them. Even the things that aren't yet done. He knows the future. He's got this providential hand that's governing everything. Okay, he goes on to say that uh, my counsel will stand and I'll accomplish all of my purposes. Job 42 is going to say it like this. Job is going to look at God and say, I know that you can do all things. Okay, that's the sovereign providential hand of God. Then he goes on to say, and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Like, there is no way for a human being to block the power and the purposes of God. You can't do it. It's impossible. Um, okay, Psalm, or a Proverbs is going to say this, that a king, a king's heart is in God's hands like a stream. So it is like a stream, a river in God's hand. And it's going to go on to say, and God turns it whatever way he wills. So the affairs of nations are in the providential hand of God. Okay, um, in Proverbs 16, it's going to say that, um, okay, you can cast lots. Okay, in other words, you can roll the dice. And even things like that do not happen by random chance. You can roll the dice, and all of that is going to be governed by the providence of God. So here's what he's saying. The Bible is going to teach us consistently that God is governing everything that we see happen toward his ends. That he turns all things out for the good of those who love them. So if you're a child of God, like if you're one of his, you can know that God turns all things out for your good. And we're not talking temporal good. Like I'm not saying if you're throwing up tomorrow, rejoice. I'm not saying, I'm saying your, your eternal good, God works everything if you're a child of his for your good. In God's providence, He works all things, governs all things. So here's what we're saying: we're saying that the providential hand of God brought Jesus into the world. That's how it happened. It would maybe you could say it another way: it would not have happened by chance there's too many things that happen by coincidence here for this to go by chance so god's providential hand is over jesus coming into the world now let me highlight maybe a couple of of passages in this um story that you just read to kind of bring this out um let's start in verse 18 matthew one going to be up on the screen for you if you need it um you've got bibles there around you if you want to go that way too um so so hear this through the lens of through this maybe a thousand foot level looking at this passage, how God providentially was at work to bring Jesus into the world. Um, Okay. Verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. Okay. So get ready for the chaos. Here it comes. Um, When his mother, Mary had been betrothed or engaged, that would almost be like marriage, just not the benefits yet. All right. So they're together, just not the benefit. Okay. So um, Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together um, she was found to be with child, and here's this phrase, from the Holy Spirit. Like I say I'm not a rocket scientist, but typically that's not the way it works. Um, okay, so, and how's he going to respond? Look at verse 19. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, so he's a good man, and unwilling to put her to shame. And let me just say a, a parenthetical there. Um, I think good men treat their wives that way. Even when they have done shameful things, they protect He's a good man. He wasn't willing to put her to shame. Keeps going. Resolved to divorce her quietly. Okay, so, so you've got, he, she's gotten pregnant. The Holy Spirit's done it. And Joseph is saying, listen, babe, I love you. But right now, I just don't believe you. That's what he's saying. Okay, now look how this goes on in verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. If, if you've got your Bible, maybe underline that phrase and put a one by that. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. I think Joseph in that moment is like, thank you, God, for just letting me know my wife's not crazy right now. Right. I I I can just see that come out. Okay, look what he goes on to say, verse 21. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And look at verse 22. All this virgin birth, confirmation to Joseph, don't divorce her. This is all from me. Go forward with this. Call his name Jesus. He's going to save the people from their sin. all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. I think that the scriptures are highlighting the fact that this is not like some last-minute plan. We didn't just kind of throw this into, the, in the, you know, kind of play this morning. This wasn't plan B, C, D, or E. This was plan A from the beginning. This is what God had said long ago was going to happen, right? So you see the providential hand of God over the Christmas story. Um, okay, so let's keep going here. Go ahead and, and flip over to Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. Um, Okay, so you've got the wise men. They see the star. They approach Herod. Herod kind of gets the picture here. We've got a new king coming. Um, He gets mad. He's trying to figure out where this new king's going to be. And then the, the wise men leave their gifts and they go. And here's where you pick it up in Matthew 2, chapter 13. And now when they, the wise men, when they departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, you might put a number two by that one. So not once, but twice the Holy Spirit is coming through an angel and saying, listen, let me tell you what's up here. You need some help. This is not going to go well for you if you don't listen. And here's what the angel said. Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. And then look at what it says here. For Herod is about. So God knows the future. This hasn't happened and it's about to happen. And God is saying, listen, I know what's about to happen. So listen to what I'm saying. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. So here's what you need to do. Verse 14. And he rose. Joseph rose. He obeyed. He took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the, end, or until the death of Herod. The, okay, now look, look at this phrase again. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I will call my son. Okay, so I just want you to see this, that the providential hand of God is sitting over this to bring Jesus into the world. Had that angel not said, Joseph, this is legit. If he had not come to Joseph again and said, hey, Joseph, Herod's about to kill him. Get him out of here. Go to Egypt. This would not have happened. And okay, now see this. This is God's plan from all along. This is what he said he would do hundreds of years before. And then this is how it's working out. You've got the providential hand of God over the Christmas story. Okay, it keeps going. One more example herod comes he kills all the babies two. okay and and when you read that i think there's a real tendency to read that without thinking about it that would be caleb my little boy dying at the hands of a king right if you've got a two-year-old or younger i mean if, if he lives in that area he he is dead tomorrow right so so that has emotion written all over it herod kills all the babies two years and younger And and then this is where we pick it up. Herod dies, and in verse 19 of Matthew chapter 2, here's what it says. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Maybe put a number three by that one. Not once, not twice, three times. An angel comes to Joseph. Here's what you need to do, here's what's happening. Verse 20, saying, this is what the angel said. Rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And maybe put a number four by this one. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. Four times an angel comes to Joseph and says, You are going to get destroyed and Jesus if you don't listen to what I'm about to tell you. It's not a by chance thing. It's not a random thing. This is God working his sovereign will out on the world. And then this is how that that phrase finishes up here in verse 23. And he went and lived in the city called Nazareth. And listen to this that what uh, was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. He should be called a Nazarene. So I just want you to see, over the Christmas story is the providential hand of God governing things, turning things, so that Jesus makes it, so that God makes it. It is not going to happen by chance. It takes the sovereign hand of God for that to happen. Okay, now here's the second thing, and this is what I kind of want to sit down in this room, and um, then we'll take communion tonight. It's not just God sovereignly bringing Jesus into the world. Okay, I want you to to hear this. But it is God sovereignly bringing Jesus to you personally. I'm going to say that one more time. It's not God sovereignly and providentially bringing just Jesus into the world. It is God sovereignly bringing Jesus to you. Like not to your neighbor but to you personally. Okay, in Matthew one twenty-one, this is a verse we kind of talked about a little bit this last Sunday morning. Here's what um, Matthew communicates to us. Uh, Matthew says, and this is basically an angel speaking here. Matthew's recording this. And and the angel says, you're going to call his name Jesus. And Jesus means God saves. And and then he goes on to explain it. Here's what Jesus is going to do, the angel says. Jesus is going to save the people from their sin. Here's what God... God is providentially not bringing Jesus into the world only, but he is sovereignly and providentially his his hand in this. this. We sing this song, God's got the whole world in his hands, right? And so this is God with the world in his hands saying, I am bringing Jesus to you personally. Okay, now we focus Sunday on this word sin and here's what we said about sin that sin is a universal problem it's not just a my problem and it's not just a your neighbor's problem and it's not just our wives problems and not just our kids problems it is our problem it is universal it is across this room and across this planet it is all of us doesn't matter your race your gender it that it, it's a universal problem we are all sinful people and typically, I don't have to convince people of that. I typically, you can just say, look at your life. Like We all have areas of sin in them. Okay, now, now and here's essentially what sin is. It's lawlessness. It's, it's God saying, I've set the world up to go this way. And then we look at God and say, no, I, I know you're the creator. And I know that you've ordained all this. And I know that you are, like, you are all of that. I know that you're God, but I think I know better than you. Like it's us shaking our fist at a sovereign God and saying, "I'm going to do this thing my way." I know you've said that, but I'm doing this. It, so it's essentially lawlessness. And it's a universal problem. Okay, now here's the truth about sin, and this is the hardest for us to grab a hold of: is not only is sin a universal problem; its essence is lawlessness, but sin is deserving of death. Uh, The Bible over and over teaches this. The wages of sin is death, right? And and so, um, okay, listen, how how about this one? Maybe I could explain it this way. Um, I I think most of us in here would agree that God is a good father. But maybe we need to hear this, that God is also a good judge. The Bible would say both of those two things about him. And, And here's the thing about a good judge is a good judge does not let sin and evil go unpunished. It doesn't do that. A good judge, when when evil and crime is committed, says, here is your punishment. And God is a good judge. He can't sweep the universal problem of sin, lawlessness. He can't sweep that under the rug. There is punishment to be had for it. And, And this is what the Bible and specifically Jesus teaches about the punishment, that God has created hell as punishment for sin. Not my idea. It's God's idea. That he's created hell to punish sin. That is the weight of the problem of the world right there. And here is the beauty of Christmas. That God providentially brings Jesus into the world. But not only that, he providentially brings Jesus to you and to me. And he says in Matthew one twenty one, I have brought him to you to save you. Not just people, but to save you from your sin." I, Jesus is our great savior, right? I, he is the savior of the world. God has brought him into the world to save the people from your sin. Here's really the beauty of the story. It is that God is a, a, not only a good father, but he's a good judge who punishes sin. Truth is, sin will be paid for. The question goes like this tonight in this room. Here's the question. The question is, will you pay for your sin or will Jesus? I think that's the Christmas question. Will Jesus pay for your sin or will you? And here's how the Bible describes that exchange. Uh, the exchange between us paying and Jesus paying it. That exchange, what, what, what hinges on, like everything hinges on this piece of it. it th- this is what creates the movement from us paying to Jesus paying. It, is it starts with repentance, us saying, Notice sin and turning and running from sin. And then the other piece of that is in faith, us holding up our life and saying, Jesus, I joyfully surrender all of me to you. That's the transfer. At that moment, we go from the penalty bearers to Jesus. At that moment, we no longer pay the beauty of the Christmas message finds full force and value and significance in your life and mine as Jesus absorbs the wrath of God directed at us. So let me ask you this question again. Is Jesus paying for your sin or are you paying for your sin? Repentance, turning from sin, faith, trusting in Jesus, that is what makes the transfer. That's what creates the movement. Jesus paying or you paying? I want to take 15 seconds to plead with you in this room. If we're 16 or 60, man, I want to plead with you that Christmas is about that question. It's not about the gifts under the tree. It's not even about family coming in. It is about Jesus in front of you. Is he paying the penalty for your sin? Man, I just want to plead with you. If that has not happened, that is the greatest gift in the universe, right? I mean, that is it. Take Jesus as your Savior. Take Jesus as your Savior. Okay, so here's how we finish tonight. Um, We're going to proclaim that. We're proclaiming in, in communion tonight that Jesus has stepped in front of us as our defender and our protector and our wrath bearer. He has stood in front of us taking our penalty. That's essentially what communion is. We get to hold up the body of Jesus who was nailed to a cross. We hold up the blood of Jesus spilled for you and I, covering our sin. It's symbolized in the bread and the juice. We hold that up and we get to proclaim, Jesus is our Savior. That is Christmas. Okay, so we get to stand up and we get to say, by by taking this bread, dipping it in the juice and eating it, we are saying, Jesus, you are mine. That is my Christmas present. You are mine. And so here's how this plays out for us tonight. Um, As a church, I think this is our responsibility, is to make sure we present how the Lord's Supper needs to go, that we do this thing right. And and this would be what makes the Lord's Supper right. Number one, um, it is for people who have Jesus. Okay, it doesn't make any sense to proclaim, Jesus is my Savior if he's not yet. So I would encourage you, man, if that's not you yet, take Jesus before you take the bread. All right? And, And if that's you tonight, man, I would encourage you, Take Jesus and run after him. So, so that would be um, maybe requirement one. Requirement two would be this. Not only that we're a follower of Jesus, but that we are in right standing with Jesus. So before you take communion tonight, I would encourage you as, as dads, um, as teenagers in this room, as wives, to take a second and to allow the Holy Spirit to, to just look over your life. Are there any areas that need to be repented of tonight? Before you take the Lord's Supper, before you take communion. And so Kevin and the guys are going to start playing for us. And I'm going to read a passage of Scripture that kind of introduces this in First Corinthians 11 to the Lord's Supper. And then we'll just let the music go. And we're going to give you time um, to sit for a few minutes. And then um, you'll come up, you'll dip the bread and the juice and, and take all that in one kind of motion there. But I would encourage you, you don't have to rush through that. They're going to play a couple of songs. You've got some time to just sit and to think for just a few minutes. Allow the gospel to wash over your heart. Are there things that need to be repented of? Are there areas in your life that need to be confessed, need to bring to the surface, allowing Jesus to forgive, to move in, to work in? So I would encourage you to make sure, A, that you're in right standing with God, right? That you're a believer in right standing with God before you jump up this morning or tonight. Um, Let me read this passage to you in 1 Corinthians 11, and then I'll pray for you and, and we'll take communion. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. So, Jesus, we um, we gather here tonight, namely, to remember. To remember that, that you came providentially, that God, you brought Jesus, your son, wrapped him in flesh, and that you nailed him to a cross to pay for our sin. And so God, we claim that. And God, we claim the resurrection because we know that in it, we've got the power to change. We know that in the cross we're forgiven and in the resurrection that things can be different as we move forward. So God, we come here to remember that, that you are the Savior. God, we come to lift that up, that you are the Savior. God, we come to praise that. And God, I pray that there would be repentant hearts tonight. Take the the bread, that would take the juice and they would experience the Lord's communion. God, I pray that we would have repentant hearts. God, I pray for daddies in here who just need to be on their knees and, and cry out for forgiveness. God, I pray that you would move them into being the men that you have called them to be for their wives' sake, for their family's sake. God, I pray that we would have men that love you, that live for you, that are passionately pursuing you. God, I pray for our ladies. God, I pray that you might break down walls of sin. God, I pray that we would have repentant ladies, God, in right standing with you, that love you, that pursue you, that wanna know you, that that are running after you. God, I pray for that. God, I pray for kids in this room. God, that we would have teenagers and we would have Uh, our young kids in here, God, that they would be people on a passionate pursuit of you. God, they would run after Jesus, the savior of the world. They would run after Jesus who has come to save the people from their sin. God, I pray that would be the mark of of those of us in here tonight. So God, as we examine ourselves, as we, as we sit and we think just for a few minutes, as we um, walk up tonight, God, I pray that you might work in us. I pray that you might work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, husbands, you can pray over your wives, over your families, and when you feel like you're ready to go, feel free to come up and take the Lord's Supper tonight.